The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. We've got Mark Donnelly and Carrie Waddell. Carrie, I'm calling today's show, are we looking at an eminence front? And of course, you know the song that we're playing. No. Or are we looking at an imminent front? And no, I don't know the song. <laughs> because there's a lot of things on President Biden's Thanksgiving plate right now. A lot of it that could affect your financial future. But is it all just an eminence front, meaning that it's a put on, It's there's really nothing behind it, it's just all talk? Or is it imminent, meaning that these things are going to happen and they're going to happen soon? So oh, some of those things that are on his Thanksgiving play, we could talk about the Build Back Better plan, right? So we're taping this show. On Friday morning, we just learned that the House of Representatives did pass it. You know, no Republican votes, which they weren't expecting any. Right. It's going to be done all Democrats. One Democrat did not vote for it. They didn't need his vote. Okay, we've got the Fed chair decision that has to be made. You know, is, is Chairman Jerome Powell, does he stay or does he go? And is it going to be Brainerd who's going to replace him? We can talk about that. It's a big, you know, in other words, is he going to switch captains in the middle of the storm? Uh, inflation Nation, Carrie, can we talk enough about inflation? Mm, everybody's talking about inflation or feeling inflation if you go to the store. Is inflation imminent right now? <laughs> We're in it. All right. And Biden still got to deal with the debt ceiling crisis that's, that's coming soon, imminent and uh, so, let's see. So, where do we get started? Well, the big thing about the Build Back Better plan was everyone was waiting for the CBO score. just received in the past few minutes the final cost estimate from the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. Congressional correspondent Chad Pergram tells us where things stand tonight. Good evening, Chad. What do the CBO numbers tell us? Good evening, Brett. The CBO says the bill will add $367 billion to the deficit hmm. over a decade, but they'll make up revenue catching tax cheats. Oh, okay. Those figures are crucial. Members tax cheats are going to pay for it. Okay. As okay. A fig leaf to vote yes Is that or most of Washington the House is expected to vote on the bill later tonight. Those numbers are important to unlock the votes to pass the bill. Moderate Democrats held out for analysis from the CBO. We are taking into account CBO scores before we vote on political any uh, bill of, uh, regardless of the size. And so when we are looking at a bill that's likely to be close to $2 trillion, wow. it's the responsible thing to get the best um, nonpartisan estimate we can. There have been efforts by some Democrats to dismiss the CBO score. Hmm. The numbers don't lie. The CBO uh, has no political agenda. Uh, it builds its estimates not on what it thinks the truth is, but what the research literature says is the consensus. The GOP says some of the CBO figures are CBO all no. I can't help but wonder what my so-called moderate colleagues on the other side of the aisle are waiting for with bated breath for a CBO score. You don't need a CBO score to know that $500 billion of unicorn climate agenda energy policies are going to drive up heating costs, yep. drive up the cost of gasoline, and cripple our economy. Wow. Mm. All right. So obviously it's a hot debate. And... What is it? So, what did the CBO say? Because that, that's where 
again, this isn't a done deal, right? This is just means that the House and now it goes back to the Senate. You know, Nancy wanted to get it done so they could all go on their Thanksgiving break. And she got it done, even with Kevin McCarthy's late night filibuster, you know, speech. Just delayed it for a few hours, whatever. Um, So they passed it this morning, Friday. They're all going to, you know, go home and, and celebrate Thanksgiving. And then the Senate will bring it up and the Senate supposedly will get it done by Christmas. All right. Now, but what that's what Senator Manchin and, and Cinema they were saying is that we want to see the CBO score. We want to see is this truly going to be no cost to U.S. taxpayers? Is it going to pay for itself? And what CBO said was probably not. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. All right. And what they're basically so just to go over the numbers that they had mentioned there, it said that the bill would add three hundred and sixty seven billion to the deficit over 10 years. But remember, the one of the proposals in the bill is to beef up the IRS enforcement, right, with 80 billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And remember how that was. That's been talked about for a while. That's been in the plan for a while. But remember, we had that big commotion over Biden's plan for the banks would have to report the transactions. Oh, over. yeah. And people were freaking out because right. it was small amounts. See, that was a big part of how much this enforcement was going to bring in by the tax cheats. OK. And when that fell apart because nobody liked that plan, I mean, the Democrats liked that plan, but nobody else liked that plan. Well, then the CBO said, well, you're not going to get that $800 billion that you said you were going to get by that plan. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they said the, the when so now that that $600 threshold is out, all right, now the CBO said, okay, perhaps that the tax sheets are going to chip in about $207 billion over the next 10 years. Okay. Okay. Um, right. So, it, you know, that would, you know, so that would reduce that $367 billion deficit down to, what, $127 billion. Still not zero, though. It's still mm-hmm. $127 billion. Not trillion, though, Carrie, only right. billion. Oh, right. okay. Um, now, so we'll see what, what what happens there. But also, what what I'm saying is I still don't know if it's time to jump off the bridge yet or put it in financial terms, if you need to adjust your financial plan based on just because the house voted to pass it. We, it's not a done deal yet. They had the excess votes in the house. They don't have any excess votes in the Senate Mm -hmm. because there's not going to be one Republican that's going to vote for it. And that means you can't have one Democrat oppose it. Mm. All right. And so we'll see and, and we'll see how that goes. Um, now, there was a lot of commotion when for the for infrastructure one. Remember, this is the build back better. This is the one. This is not what they passed earlier, which is the infrastructure one. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are upset because there were some Republican votes that went for that. Well, they were all I mean, the Senate had already passed that with Republican and bipartisan. So I don't know why that was a big surprise to everyone that the House was going to have some. I mean, there was no way that infrastructure one was going to be blocked, Carrie. That was the deal that the right. that the, the, the bipartisan deal that they made. Um, so I don't know, but so Rob Portman, of course, he was for the infrastructure bill one. He's again, he's not going to vote for infrastructure right. two, but and so how is this going to help us in Ohio? Infrastructure one. All right. So there's going to be nine point nine point two billion to help Ohio highways. There's going to be 1.4 billion to help Ohio water infrastructure. There's going to be 1.2 billion to help to help Ohio public transportation. There's going to be 1 billion for the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. There's going to be about 483 million to build back Ohio bridges. Okay. About another 140 million to build back the electric or you know, to build electric vehicle chargers. About 100 million um, to broadband, you know, boosting. And about two hundred fifty million, or two hundred fifty-three million on all airports in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So is that you know now? Portman was the only Republican to speak at President's bill signing ceremony, right? Okay. Um, uh, you know, Anthony Gonzalez, who's you know my rep in Rock River, um, he was the only Ohio Republican in the House that uh, supported it, but he skipped the ceremony. 
Now, why did Portman support it? Because there's a lot of blowback on. Oh yeah, prob- people aren't happy about right. it. Um, well, you know, so Portman is saying that the bill will counter inflation over time. We're talking about infrastructure one, Carrie. Now, okay, not, not the two. bill back better. All right. So his point is inflation happens when prices rise because there's too much demand for goods and not enough supply. Okay, the and that one remember that was one point nine trillion. You know what what five hundred six hundred billion new spending. Um, so he's saying that this this should curtail that um, by building that bridge. That's part of the supply side of the economy rather than the demand side of the economy. The long term spending for capital assets, the infrastructure bill should over time actually have a counter inflationary effect. Uh, most of money, most of the money, again, is not going to be spent in the near term. Most will be spent over time. But when it is spent, it's spent more on the supply side of the economy rather than the demand side of the economy. See, he's saying that's the difference because the, the infrastructure, one, isn't going to be like the, the problem that, remember, Biden's first pandemic plan, you know, the drop trillions mm-hmm. right in everybody's lap everybody got free money they didn't pay you know there were no tax increase everyone just got free money we all went out and, and revenge spending and the supply wasn't there right, right. because of the supply chain so that's what led to this transitory inflation for if you're in that camp and he's saying that's not what the infrastructure one's gonna do it's gonna be over 10 it's gonna be spent over time um it's just gonna be that slowly keep the economy rolling right um now you contrast what Portman says, because I think he makes some sense there. I think you you have a good economic debate there um, with Sherrod Brown. Okay. So Sherrod Brown um, is is saying that the PB, the better bill back, better social spending bill. Okay. Will help inflationary pressures. Okay. Well, by, you know, I don't know. A lot of people don't think that. A lot of people think that this ne- this Build Back Better is going to spend so much money so quickly, it's going to overheat the economy just like the earlier bill did. All right. So Sherrod Brown attributes much of the inflation to supply chain disruptions. He argues that squeezing the supply chain, I don't know what he's talking about, squeezing the supply chain, but whatever. So these costs don't spike like that. And passing Biden's Build Back Better legislation will help. He said he also likes to see production that shifted to other countries return to the U.S. so the nation won't have to rely on foreign for key goods. Well, hasn't that ship kind of already sailed? Right. They shut down our pipelines. They're trying to impose corporate minimum taxes in America. Mm. How does that go and work to get companies to bring back manufacturing to the U.S.? So I don't know if I like Sherrod Brown's argument saying that, and that's how the Democrats have spun this bill back better. It, now we're inflation nation. Now all of a sudden they're saying is that the bill back better plan is what's going to decrease inflation. I don't know. I don't Karen, know. Get us started. Well, regardless of that, you know, it always comes down to how could these things potentially impact you, whether you're working and thinking about a retirement date or your spending or some of the financial choices that you would make to put yourself in a better position. And in every economic situation and with every bill Congress passes or doesn't pass, there are opportunities as well as potential problems. And you're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We are here every Saturday morning on 1420 a.m. between 9 and 10. We're a financial educational talk program here to give you helpful information about issues that impact your financial life, whether, again, that you're working or already in retirement and talk about financial news and financial planning. We are a um, sponsored by the estate planning team. And the estate planning team is an affordable fee-based Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm that's been around Cleveland area more than 35 years, accredited and A-rated members of the Better Business Bureau. And what we do is traditional 
financial planning number crunching, um, whether it's financial modeling saying, what if we have higher inflation rates? Um, what if taxes are higher? Um, looking at um, different growth rates, um, your spending and putting it together in, in an objective, unbiased analysis or helping people with specific analysis like timing of Social Security, pension elections, IRA distribution planning, which are in the throes of Roth conversion analysis, and so much more. And the estate planning team offers a free consultation. And we do those either by phone or in person to see if you can benefit from our services. And I said affordable, but we have both hourly planning options and comprehensive. So if you're someone who does uh, a lot of it, you're on your own or handles pieces and parts, you know, you may um, come in and there may be an area that we can help you with. And we look at things from in very a lot of detail, but also big picture and long term perspective, because most people can, you know, in their head, keep track of a couple of years of expenses, but really getting that long range and making different choices based on that. And if you want to take advantage of a free consultation, we have incentives now through the end of the year. If you want to get on the schedule and again, we can do that by phone or in person. Our number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. The website has newsletters. If you sign up, we have alerts. As things get passed, you'll be the first to know and they summarize it in a nice way. You'll um, be the first to know about planning classes that we do and other helpful information as well. And that's financialfoodforthought.com. All right. Thanks, Carrie. You listen to Mark Dowling, Carrie with Dell. Carrie, so as I said, Federal Chairman Powell is right in the midst of the inflation debate. And as I said last week on the show, the inflation nation has gone beyond Federal Reserve. It's now a political football. Right? So now all of a sudden, the nomination, whether Fed chair gets renominated by President Biden or he tries to replace him, is now more of a political discussion than an economic uh, you know, discussion. Because in, quite frankly, whoever is Fed chair is going to be following the committee approach. The Fed chair doesn't act in a vacuum. Right. They, they have all the Fed governors. They've got all the Fed Reserve presidents and huge staffs. It's a, it's a, a collaborated effort. Mm-hmm. It's just not it, the Fed chair is just kind of like the head speaker, so to speak. Obviously, he has some weight, but not it's it's not his final decision. And, and so and, and the, the other. So it looks like it's down to Lael Brainerd who's she's been on the the governors for a long, long time. Um, Again, very smart person. But a lot of people think she's too progressive to get through the confirmation process in the Senate. See, the problem is that February date when when his when Powell's position ends, so to speak, is coming up fast. You've got to get through a confirmation with all the holidays. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of time left. President Biden has waited too long quite frankly, to make this decision, unless he just is planning to keep Powell in place. But he's, you know, now, and nothing's been said about vice chair Richard Clarida. He was one time thought, well, maybe he would replace Powell, but he seems to be out of it. So it's down to Brainerd and Powell. And a lot of people think Brainerd is too progressive. Remember, she got caught years ago because she contributed to Hillary Clinton's campaign. And that mm. was and it was a little myth about when Janet Yellen was uh, at that time was chair. And they kind of went after Janet Yellen saying, do you agree that your governors can, can you know, contribute to it, it was a mess. Now, so here's why I think Powell will be renominated, Carrie. And I think it's a, you know, take your pick of why. But one, because it's getting too late. Biden's waited too long. If he was going to change and try to get somebody like Brainerd through, they, she might not be confirmed in time. Well, I was going to say, did somebody maybe tell him he needs to get moving on that? Oh, who knows? <laughs> I think okay. he has enough on his plate. Well, two, his Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, recommended Powell. So if he doesn't go, he's going against recommendations of the trade because if anyone maybe should be telling them maybe it's her i don't right. know okay or three some people think that he always was going to renominate powell anyway because if powell fails and this inflation isn't transitory and it gets worse they can blame trump it's really still his fault because he could have got rid of him, correct? No, Trump got Powell, and so they were. Just, he was just going with Trump's pick. Well, that doesn't even make sense because pretty much he does anything that Trump didn't do. Well, blame Trump if Powell fails. 
Is this Trump, Trump going to be blamed for everything? All right. Forever? Um, all right. Well, because, yeah, Biden takes responsibility. So the other thing that's happening this time of year is we're getting the new tax numbers, tax rates, tax tables, um, thresholds and everything for next year. And we missed it last week, Carrie, because remember, I've been saying a lot of our clients, a lot of our listeners have been waiting to see what the new Medicare B, Medicare D threshold premiums are. Right. And remember, they projected it to be like 150 something. Uh, It came in a little bit higher than that. And I think I saw the headline last Saturday afternoon. It came out. Yeah, they actually I think it was released Friday evening. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't um, see the headline until... You know, that when they finally announced it. And the reason why we keep an eye on this, because a lot of our clients are trying to maximize the how much income that they have to stay under that next Medicare threshold that right. would cause their Medicare B, and if they have Medicare D, premiums to go up. And as you said, it was they were projecting... So currently this year, the the... First level, first tier is 148.50. Yeah, they were expecting it to go up by like 10 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it went up a little higher than that. Okay. So w- let's go through some of those numbers. So it actually is going up to $170.10. Okay. A $21.60 increase or about 14.5%. Ouch. Okay. Now, we do know that Social Security is going up by 5.9%. Which is the biggest it's been in, I forgot how many years. 30, 40, right. 1980s. Um, all right. So so the question is, all right, you, so it's still, you, you should be getting, if, in other words, and of course, as you know, if you're collecting Social Security and you're on Medicare, your Medicare premiums come out of your Social Security check. Mm-hmm. So even with the... 14.5% increase in the Medicare B premium and met, and you know you should still be getting a net higher net you know paycheck from Social Security right because the average they say that the average and this is why you, you know you have to work your own numbers but the average Social Security increase on a monthly dollar amount is about $92 okay okay and so that's reflecting that 5.9% COLE increase. So if your average Social Security check is going up $92 and Medicare B is going up $21.60, you still have a net increase of $70.40 or about $845 a year. Now, could you, uh, you know, because a lot of people are saying, well, Hasn't there, Mark, remember, Carrie, there's times when that the Social Security increase doesn't cover the Medicare increase. Yeah. We've had that situation, and that's where we talk about the hold harmless provisions. So I somebody asked me about that recently and saying, well, will hold harmless kick in because that Medicare B is going up so much? And no, it won't. So the hold harmless provision protects your Social Security benefit from decreasing due to an increase in the Medicare Part B premium, but that's the case if it's a net loss. In right. Other, in, in other words, if in other words they can't if if the if the Medicare goes up more than what your Social Security goes up. So in the so end, the cola has to be less than in Social or your Medicare B premium basically cost of living has to be less than the Social Security. So even if it's pointless, it you know. Right. Um, so that's when the hold harmless provision kicks in and says, you know, they, they can't do that, you know, for you, they have to, they can't, you know, they have to keep that positive, um, net. And there's lots of other, um, exceptions and rules to the hold harmless, but no. So I don't think in 2022, we, we've got the hold harmless coming into play, um, because you're still going to wind up with more of a social security check, even though. Social Security only went up by 5.9% and Medicare went up by 14.5%. Still should be more money uh, monthly. So what are those thresholds? So this is where we play the tax limbo game. And the idea is if you can stay under a certain 
Medicare um, threshold. threshold. And it's based on modified adjusted gross income. So to get your modified adjusted gross income, you've got to take your adjusted gross income and add back any tax exempt or muni interest that you reported that year. Now, remember, there's the two-year gap. So the returns you're working on or the the tax year you're working on right now is 2021. Mm -hmm. So that will dictate what your 2023 Medicare premiums will be. So going into 2022, it's the return you filed already, your 2020 tax return. So whatever's on your 2020 tax return will dictate what your 2022 Medicare premiums will be. Mm-hmm. So let's do, um, and Mary, and, and there's really three types of filing categories, filing individual or single, filing joint, married joint, or filing married separate, right? And so let's do the filed joint because it would probably what most listeners are, right? So you would pay that first level tier, you know, if, if so now we're saying if for if your 2020 tax return was under these thresholds, right? Mm-hmm. So 182,000. Okay. Now that's up from the previous year's 176,000. So that's about a 3.4% increase. That's one of the largest increases in the threshold that we've had. Right. Again, a reflection of this Rona recovery inflation that we've had. All right. So 182. So if you can keep your MAGI, your modified just gross income under, you know, if your 2020 was under 180, or a lot of people are saying, well, if that's a new threshold and I'm trying to do my 2021, that's my target I'm going to use for 2023. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to try to, you know, stay because I know what I do this year on taxes affects 2023. So that's another reason how you use that threshold. Mm-hmm. So a lot. So we have a lot of clients, for example, who are looking at doing other tax maneuvers at the end of the year, seeing if they may have to see how much money they can get out of their IRAs, for example, because what they're worried about is that their future required minimum distributions right. are going to throw them through these thresholds. And some and these thresholds are hard thresholds. So if you go where a other ones are so, over. a dollar over. A dollar. So if if so, if the target is one hundred eighty-two thousand, you better leave yourself some cushion. Because sometimes things happen at the end of the year, capital gains, but you still don't want to miss opportunities either. Right. So, and that's why if you were if you were using the one hundred seventy-six, there's six thousand more room there. Okay, so that may be a a six thousand more. You could do a Roth conversion Mm -hmm. or take out of the you know whatever you're, you're trying to do. All right. Um, and and again, the why the Roth conversion could help because getting money out of your IRA and convert it over to Roth IRA reduces your future required minimum distribution. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and if you believe that income tax rates are going up, either because of what the Democrats may do with the Build Back Better plan, or if you just know that President Trump's lower income tax rates expire at the end of 2025. Okay, so you think they're going to go up in that in that situation? So you're saying, yeah, maybe I ought to use these lower brackets, this window period, while I can, especially if per- perhaps you your other income has gone away because you retired. You mm-hmm. know, we, a lot of times we talk about that window carry, right? Right. And if you come in for a free consultation, we'll show you that window. Right. So okay, so what happens if you go over the 182? Okay, now. So if you can stay under the 182, your Medicare B premium is $170.10. The next threshold goes from 182 to 228. Now the the Medicare premium would be 238.10. And that may still not be the end of the world. Right. Okay, financially. The next threshold goes from 228 to 284. Now your Medicare B premium would be $340.20 a month. Mm, Now we're doubling what the first tier Mm -hmm. is. Um, the next threshold goes from two eighty four to three hundred and forty thousand dollars of modified adjusted gross income. Now your Medicare B premium would be four hundred and forty two dollars and thirty cents. Okay, we're not done yet, Carrie. Though the next tier is from three hundred forty thousand to seven hundred fifty thousand. Now your Medicare B premium would be five hundred and forty four dollars and thirty cents. And then if you're above the 750000 the top tier, your Medicare B premium would be $578.30. Mm-hmm. 
Now that may, you know, that's some change there. Especially, you know, that would be for each of you in right. that situation. And that adds up over time. Now here's where there is a single filer penalty because single, you have to cut in half all those thresholds. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why a lot of times we have a situation where we, when one of our clients, when they're married filing jointly, they have a lot more room on their tax return to stay under these thresholds. But then at the time of the first death, we have the surviving spouse, all of a sudden, boom, the tax <laughs> goes way up. You know, because mm-hmm. they, because in that situation, you still have the same amount of IRAs. Right. Right. I mean, it just goes to the surviving spouse. But yet your Medi- you know, your Medicare threshold is cut in half here you know now and medicare d goes up as well so if you're getting medicare d if you uh go above the first threshold your monthly premium goes up twelve dollars and forty cents then thirty two dollars and ten cents then fifty one dollars and seventy cents then seventy one dollars and thirty cents and at the top tier seventy seven dollars and ninety cents so it's that combination um so that's why you know, and as you said, it's a hard threshold. So, so the idea is if you are, if you were planning that way and you were still using the old threshold, this gives you a little bit more cushion. You could say that, or you may want to be a little bit more aggressive. If you're already were had cushion in, like we usually lose, leave about five to $7,000 of cushion. Right. Because sometimes things happen right. that are out of your control. Um, but if you've already built that in, now you've got the increase. So we have a lot of our clients who are waiting for that and saying, okay, I was thinking I could only do up to 176. Now I can do up to 182. Now I can finalize that, what I'm going to do, and then get that, you know, get that year end done. Um, so we'll keep talking about that. And one of the things I didn't get to today, Carrie, but I probably may get that maybe next week, is you've got to be careful because the third filing status that I mentioned was married separate. Right. That and saves this, you money maybe yeah. on some state taxes, but people don't realize until it's too late too many times that you don't get all those tiers if you're married filing separately. Right. So remember before, you know, when we said there's a, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six tiers of these Medicare IRMA. Remember, IRMA stands for income related monthly adjustment amount. There's six tiers of these IRMA thresholds. If you're married filing separately, there's not six. There's three. Mm hmm. And, and they're not the lower three, by the way. Well, well it's you the still the first tier, tier is the lower one. You still get the one. first tier, but then you the skip the next three are skipped. Right. Which... So, yeah. So we, if you're married filing separately, just because it's saving you some money on Ohio income taxes, you have to make re, you may have to you know resharpen your pencil to work this out because if you go so the first level tier you know, would be 91,000 married separately. Each of you could have 91,000 and then you're at the 170, 10. But if you're a, if either one of you are a dollar over that 91,000, okay, you're at the tier of $544 and 30 cents. That's a huge jump. And then you annualize that. That's a big jump. And your Medicare is going up, you know, Medicare D, is this an additional seventy one dollars mm-hmm. and thirty cents too on top of the five forty four? Yeah, so that can get expensive, and that may outweigh the actual savings you're getting by filing separate. Mm-hmm. Now you say, well, Mark, why? And I'll I'll, I'll I'll have to bring a case in for this maybe next week, Carrie. But and you say, well, why do the CPAs recommend you do that then? And because the CPAs prepare your taxes and are trying to get your taxes as the least amount possible in a year. Right. And they're looking at this year. Remember your, your tax return this year, your 2020 tax return affects your 2023 Medicare premiums. That's way down the line. And that's really not your CPAs or or a tax preparer's job to look at other things. Your Medicare that's health insurance. They don't consider Medicare premiums as taxes. They might look at, maximize certain brackets, but it's certainly not, or they may run it 
the benefits usually of joint versus separate because they're looking at that tax year after it's already done. What we're talking about is planning ahead for future tax years to put yourself in a better position. Right. And so we've had a lot of three-way conversations with our clients and our CPAs to go if we hit if we see a situation where the client has been filing separate and maybe be, even may have been carried before they were on Medicare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're not getting they're not thinking about, uh oh, what if I yeah, I file separate. I like the idea that this is gonna save me some money this year on taxes, but they're they this is a secret, this is a this is something in the wings that they don't realize that they're locking in. Right. And since you said that too, the separately also, just having IRA distributions, if you don't know what minimum required distribution looks like down the road and you're someone who saves, save and put money into the IRA or your, especially the company retirement plans and you have this big pot of money to use later, you know, even though minimum requires at 72, that alone can jump people through a threshold depending on what you have in the balance. So looking ahead, pre-planning, take advantage of opportunities because we know people are worried about future taxes, inflation, and they're worried about things going on in the economy and their in financial world. But how does that materially affect you and some of the choices that you're making? Um, and that's what we can do at the estate planning team is show you objectively through different scenarios. Maybe people want to see plan A based on what or a plan scenario based on current thinking. And then another plan, worst case scenario, because people aren't going to make the big financial decisions, whether it's spend more or retire without having that comfort level of no, they're going to be okay, or how are they going to be okay? And that's what we do differently. Um, And also, um, I mentioned every show, but we're not investment advisors. We look at how much risk our clients should be taking on and are you taking on more risk than necessary to be okay. And you can take advantage of a free consultation by phone or in person to see if we can benefit you and you can give us a call at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. All right, listen to Mark Donnelly and Kara Waddell, and we're the owners of the estate planning team. Estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And over those 35 years, Kara, we certainly have helped a lot of clients navigate the changing of going from working to retirement, mm-hmm. going from an employer health care to Medicare, and understanding how tax planning, year-end, you know, IRA distribution planning, Roth conversion planning, qualified charitable distributions, mm-hmm. all the charitable planning can all work toward to make your retirement plan a bit sweeter. And a lot of it is just we having the benefit of models that can project things out into the future. Now, we always say our, you know, one of our axioms is a plan team, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Mm-hmm. And by running different models, it's the idea of saying what, you, what you're getting is you're saying, okay, this is what my future looks like if I go down this path A. Mm-hmm. But what happens if... It's a little bit worse than that. A worst case scenario. Inflation sticks around longer. Investments don't do as well. Mm-hmm. We have another recession, right? Or my healthcare costs go up higher than what I'm projecting. Any any of these things that could say, all right, a, you know, a worst case scenario. Well, sometimes, Carrie, that's called stress testing, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that your plan A is working, well, let's stress test it. What happens if you run a worst-case scenario? You can call it a fancy term you want, but it's just the idea of running multiple model scenarios. And the idea is saying, if something is happening now that I didn't, you know, in other words, has reality given me a new base that are, has changed one of the assumptions that I was previously making, Right. Whether that's something that I can control, like buying a new house or mm-hmm. whatever, how many, how much I'm going to spend on travel, or something totally beyond my control, like tax law changes or inflation. Mm-hmm. Right? The idea is that before you make a knee-jerk reaction, which we think too many baby boomers are doing today, because mm-hmm. they, they're, they're getting caught up in the fear factor and the headline shock, 
that they don't really know if it's truly going to affect their longevity of their financial plan. But what running models can help you look at that. It's the exact same thing that the Federal Reserve is doing. Right? Mm-hmm. How many models do you think the Federal Reserve is running on, sure inf- on inflation, right? And it's the idea of saying, yeah, I'm going to, and I'm going to look and say, okay, it, it puts you in a better decision-making mode. The idea is saying, okay, if inflation sticks around a little bit longer, does that mean I'm running out of money before life? Well, that's what we can try to model. All right, and go from there. So that that's kind of the you know the the concept of financial planning. Um, now, you, I just mentioned the headlines, right? Did you see? I don't know if I can find it. How much they're saying that the, the current inflation carry? How much more Americans are paying per day at the gas pump? Oh. Six hundred million. Wow, and. And that's my. That's a lot. I like when you did how uh, like a penny. Remember my old one penny thing. I love that because you don't realize a penny what a difference a penny makes, and we're having huge jumps. Yeah, and I I can't do the math in my head, the fuzzy math. But the the penny the penny was what Carrie's referring to was years ago. Mm -hmm. Somebody did a brilliant study and said how much if the gas pump the gas at the pump goes up one penny a gallon. Right. How much annualized spending does that take out of the consumer where they would be spending that money somewhere else? And it was shocking. $1.4 billion. That was shocking. For one penny. And here, see, that's why I'm excited I do the rewards for the different gas stations when I get my five cents off. Right. So, and that's probably, if you do the math, that's probably close to $600 million more a day. I don't know. Um, but the, the idea, see, that is... That's what could, you know, could that bring down this roaring economy? Because if there's 600 million more that we're spending, see, spending on gas, then Mm -hmm. we're not spending that at the local shops. Right. We're not buying new products. We're not buying, we're not going out to dinner as much. We're not even traveling as much. Mm -hmm. Everything is shutting down, which then spirals down. Right. Right. And then. Then, you know, so so one of the things that I said that we always watch is how are the earnings that, that the, the companies are reporting? We're, the thir- we're getting to the end of the third quarter earning releases, right? And a lot of people are saying, well, do we see this as being a problem? In other words, if inflation, if these inflationary numbers are no longer transitory, if right. nobody believes that anymore, um, and do we see that i guess what i'm trying to say is or can we afford it carrie is it going to change our bo- our are driving we, habits are americans rich enough to afford this inflation um you know that's the debate that's going on right now and because we had some the retail sales report it came out this week right and retail sales rose 1.7% in October. Okay? Wow. Um, beating all expectations. All right. So the consumer is hanging in there. Right. Maybe because they thought in October it was transitory. Or maybe just <laughs> they still are spending their stimulus money. Or, or their child credit money. things that they didn't spend before in 2020. Or they, we're just rich enough that we can, we can deal with this inflation. I don't know. I know people that are adjusting. I'm adjusting. I am too. That's why um, I love Aldi's grocery shopping. You know, Do you know the, Aldi's parking lots are jam-packed I'm for there, a reason? I'm there every weekend, Carrie. Well, we I can... go every other. <laughs> um, but only one. But I don't buy a dozen eggs every week anymore. That's way too much. Oh, yeah, it's gone up. Um, no, but so so we've got some third-quarter earnings from the big retailers this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Walmart. Okay. How they do, you know, because a lot of people say, well, is Walmart, you know, and all these retails are going into Christmas season, right? Oh, yeah. And people are wondering, are you are the shelves going to be stocked? You know, how much is everything going to cost? Well, it, I think it's the supplies because I've been at stores out of necessity and clothes or when I see things, especially my youngest son, like I get it because I worry about the next week I've gone and it hasn't been there. Right. 
So we've got, you know, Walmart's doing fine. They beat, um, they beat earnings. They beat revenues. Um, our momentum continues with strong sales and profit growth globally. Our, omnis, our omni-channel focus is pushing, okay, blah, 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 blah. We regain market share in the grocery. You know, so CEO Doug McMillan is saying everything's fine at Walmart. Okay. okay. Um, how about Target? Earnings per share came in at 303, beating 283 expected. Revenue came in at 25.65 billion, beating the 24.78 billion. Um, where we are protecting our prices, CEO Brian Cornell said, is important to our guests. I <laughs> important to our guests. Uh, this year, as safety has been throughout the pandemic, um, Target is ready for the holidays. He said, "Okay, so everything going there." How about Home Depot? Home Depot earnings came in at 392, better than expected 340. Revenue came in at 36.82 billion, beating 35 billion projection. Um, CEO Craig Menard told told Alice that the company has received most of its goods slated for the fourth quarter. He still there's still roughly 95 ships outside the ports of LA and Long Beach that they're still waiting to be unloaded. That's but, crazy. Um, but the companies, yeah. But everything looks good. They're saying everything else is fine. They'll be ready. Company shares rose more than four percent on the news. How about Lowe's? Okay, earnings per share came in at two seventy three versus two thirty six expected. Again, a beat. Revenue came in at twenty two point nine two billion, uh, billion um, slightly beating the twenty two point oh six billion expected. Um, uh, what is the Marvin Ellison CEO? Says Lowe's has stepped up efforts to attract pros since they are steadier and bigger spenders. So they're trying to shift from the DIYs to the pros. Um, this is interesting at Lowe's. The retailer is also kicking off a new initiative called Livable Home, Carrie, um, to become a one stop shop for baby boomers who want to age in place. It is training employees, adding resources guides, and increasing inventory to cater to seniors who may have less mobility or want to add features to their homes for safety, such as grab bars in the shower. Hmm. It launched an effort in collaboration with nonprofit AARP. That makes sense, especially nursing home. If you can stay in your home more and not use home health care, you know. And then also, too, we see that strikes... You know, when companies go on strike, that can hurt the economy, right, Carrie? Mm-hmm. But it looks like, you know, there's a lot of companies who are on strike right now. But John Deere, do you see what the John Deere package they got? No. You hear John Deere, you know, unionized. They went on strike. They did all right. Okay, so they settled their disagreement with uh, management um, with a new six-year ar- agreement. Um, so let's see. They get a 10% increase right away. Okay, this year, 10% you know, wage increase this year, and a total of 20% over the six years. Okay, they also get an $8,500 signing bonus. Okay, um, more retirement options, um, and no changes to health care. All right, so, so the workers have got the power again, and they're not the only ones who are on strike, and we may see more of that. Um, so, Carrie, let's see. I've got a few minutes left. I can maybe do... A little bit. Why don't you give some numbers out, and then let me try to, and I'll maybe come back and just show you how you may look and say how would you adjust your plan if you think the inflation is no longer transitory. And you can learn a lot if you schedule a free consultation, which we can do that by phone or in person. You can call the estate planning team at four four zero two three nine twenty ninety. That's four four zero two three nine twenty ninety or visit financialfoodforthought.com. So I started this last week, and you can always go back and listen to the podcast. Um, you can, you know, and uh, Carrie, you said how they connected to the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Was, you can go to financialfoodforthought.com, and there's a little link right there. So if you miss shows, you can always listen to previous ones. And so if you if you want to do a down and dirty way to say, how can I quickly determine if I believe that inflation is going to be higher than what I was using in my plan model. And if you don't have a detailed model, you can always do the 10 minute retirement plan, which is a version of using Benjamin's 4% rule. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now, so 
let's say you have a client that, well, in, in the example I was I was giving, was that the client, you know, based on the four, you know, Benjamin's four percent rule. Again, remember it was based on a five percent rate of return, a thirty year time period, and three and a half percent inflation. Three and a half percent inflation, and so you take out four percent the first year. So if you have a million dollars, you take out forty thousand the first year of retirement. Then the second year, you take out three and a half percent more than the forty thousand, right? In the third year, you take out three and a half percent more than year two, you know, that type of thing. And if you've got 5% rate of return, then your million dollars would be approaching zero by the end of the 30th year. All right. Um, but we said, but, but two things going on now with inflation. In other words, right now, what you may want to do is restrike your expenses because we've had the inflation. It was, a lot of people think we've already peaked out on inflation. So we were kidding about the cost of a, not kidding, the, the, a dozen eggs went up 24% last year mm-hmm. nationwide, right? So we don't know. I don't think that the eggs are going to go up 24% every year for the next 30 years. No. But I don't know if they're going to come right back down to below a buck anytime soon. So a lot of people think this new level sets the new bar. Mm-hmm. So if eggs are costing $1.40, that's the new price. And now it's just how much inflation are you going to add on to that? And we just hope it stays the same. Is that um, the best case? Now, so that, so that theory, okay, so, and I'm probably going to run out of time here, so we'll have to pick this up again next week. But um, so just for example, if you wanted to increase, so let's say you were normally thinking you needed 76000 That was my example. But because of this inflation we've had, that's closer to 80000 So that's your new base. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say in the, my example that you're getting, your Social Security was coming in about 36000 So you need about 44000 Okay. out of your million-dollar investments. A little bit higher than 40000 right? Right. So if, and let's say you assume that instead of Benjamin's 3.5%, you said it's going to be 5% inflation. Okay. So now let's keep the 5% rate of return the same, right? So now if you start with 44,000, keep 5% rate of return, but now assume 5% inflation, your money is no longer lasting 30 years. It's lasting about 22, 23 years. Okay. That may be too short, right? So you can say, well, Mark, what happens if, well, maybe I can get more than my 5%. Because isn't that another way to, you know, I want to stay ahead of that inflation. So if I think inflation is going to five, I want my investments to do, how much would my investments have to earn if I wanted to up, you know, keep that spending going? Well, it's about 7.15% if mm. you want a lasting 30 years. You know, do you have the appetite to do that? Mm. Talk to your investment advisor about that, right? Um, so that's the type of, and I'm going to keep going on this next week, and but that's the idea of saying, running different models that it leaves you in decision-making mode. And maybe the answer is somewhere in between. And that's what we'll talk about next All right. Week. Call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.